Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And we are wrapping up You Spooky Little Bitch Week. Mm-hmm. I, I was trying to sound like, ooh. It did. Thank you. It, it, it did. It scared me. Also, oh, like good. that pop-up that just happened on my computer. Did you see that? Oh gosh, the pop-ups ooh. get me. I had one. I told you about my 3 a.m. pop-up. Oh, yeah. That uh, is still terrifying. It is. Her computer just straight up started talking to her at 3 a.m. It was creepy. And I mean, then the is, motion light. Yeah. Then she walked out into her living room and the motion light was blinking. Mm-mm. I think I had Mm-mm. some paranormal I stuff going on. I think you did on. too. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, I didn't either. I went right back into bed and I'm just like, be gone this, demons. This didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I really, I'm like, nothing to see here. Going my, back to bed. Right, I'm going to hold my pee forever now. <laughs> For the this, rest of my life. This didn't happen. Well, all right. Today I'm bringing you an Italian case. Oh. And when I tell you the year that she was born, you're going to be like, oh, old timey. But actually, this goes all the way until 1970. So, like, bear with me. Oh. This is, oh, yeah. This is like a long. Uh... Strap in, everybody. I read a book. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm going to keep dun, it to a dun, reasonable dun. time. But in all seriousness, though, it's a delightful little snack. I read it. I just read it yesterday. Okay. In one afternoon, it's like 135 pages. It's called The Curse, A Shocking True Story of Superstition, Human Sacrifice, and Cannibalism by Ryan Green. We have a variety. Oh, we've got it all, honey, today. (laughs) We have the spook spook. We've got a little yum yum. It is just, we've got everything. I am excited. And I didn't mean to bring you to, oh, technically you brought the cannibalism case last week, not me. Oh, we both, oh, well, yours actually was. There was no cannibalism in mine. We just had Remember, we had some cooking. We had some chefs. There mm. was it was Chef Boyardee week, and yes. actually, I'm I'm gonna bring you a female chef today. Oh, wow! Now that I think about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some stuff, but in order to understand Leonardo Cianciulli, and I'm gonna try my best to nail all these Italian names. Okay, so I believe in you. It's gonna happen. I I Google translated a lot to make sure that I spelled them phonetically in my notes so that I could say it correctly. So when you see Leonarda and you see her last name, it is Chanchuli. It is not spelled like that, but that's what it is. She was born April 18th, 1893. Oh. Oh, yeah. I'm wow. T- I'm telling you, this case goes into the 70s, but 1970s. But she was born in 1893 in Montella, Evelino, a province in southern Italy. But... She was not born out of love. Instead, she was born out of hate. So let me give you a quick backstory. Leonardo's mother was Amelia Dinolfi. She was very beautiful, and she was born of upper-class stock and wealth in Montella, Italy. She was highly sought after as she was encroaching on marital age and had a decent dowry to offer. Oh, I shudder to even say any of those words about arranged marriages and having a dowry and... You know, yeah. of course, today I'm like, oh, I have boobs. Look at my perky pair. I mean, I guess in a way that's a dowry when you're 
seeking a husband. Uh, so yeah, could, all could right. very well be. Times have changed a little. She had actual money to offer her spouse. I think that would still be valuable today as well. I mean, <laughs> You're right. I would take would. that. So. All I had was a perky pair. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. <laughs> so, so Amelia was definitely one of Montella's most eligible bachelorettes, you could say. She had a bright future ahead of her. And she was noticed around the small town, which, which meant men like Mariana Chanchuli also noticed the beauty that Amelia possessed. So she's a double threat. Yes. And Mariana had nothing going for him. No money, no reputation. He was a lower class and had a drinking problem. One night when Amelia was walking home alone from a chaperone dinner party because her house was only down the block, so that's why she was allowed to walk home alone, Mariano had spent the night drinking cheap wine and stalking the estate that Amelia was at oh, for so her he dinner was, party. He was infatuated with her. He took and- notice. He did not like her. Oh. He took notice and was jealous of her beauty, jealous of her stature in society. Okay. And he wanted to take her down a peg. Oh, wow. At first I was like, oh, we have another Kate and Leo, but uh, apparently not. No, no. We definitely don't. What we have is is somebody who was, you know, born in a lower class of society at the time. This is, you know, 1800s Italy. And he did not like the way life had treated him, and he had a drinking problem. So Dangerous combination. Most definitely. Uh, he followed Amelia and crept from the shadows, where he proceeded to drag her to a nearby field and rape her. Um. Now, she at first thought that it was like a joke from one of her friends, so she actually didn't even try to fight at first. She literally thought that, she had, that her friends were playing a prank on her because oh, wow. she was so close to home. And she was very naive. She's just a teenage girl. So she's very naive. She didn't realize when he started reaching for her skirts what that meant. Oh, gosh. She thought he was robbing her. She immediately, she was so innocent and naive that she, no one had talked to her about what happens yet on a wedding night or anything like that. I was going to say, and she probably didn't know violence or hatred or anything like that. She immediately went to, he's robbing me. And she tried to give him her, or her, tell him, excuse me, that she didn't have anything on her. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was just at a dinner party. These dinner parties are, are where you find a suitor. You know, that's where you find people take notice and you start making, they, the parents start making matches for men to court you and things like that. That's what she was at prior to this because she is coming up a upon meritable age. She's eligible. Yeah. And, and how yep. old was she? So at this point in time, I, I do not actually know. She's oh, okay. young. I she's thought you said not, she was pretty young. She is young. She's a teenager, but she is not, she's not to the point where um, they are going to marry her off yet. She's at the stage where they have started the courtship. Like prepping. Yep. Okay. Yep. And getting her name out there. She's starting to flourish in society and, and have the, the men They're advertising her. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. yeah it's awesome, so, isn't it's it? It's so hard. I know. Uh-huh. Yeah. But you're 100% correct. That is what they are like, doing. This is what, look at all of this. Yes. This is what she has mm-hmm. up and coming. Yes. Yeah, old creepy men looking for a virgin teenage oh, wife. God. So, okay. So he rapes her and he just leaves her there. Now, this is a small town. She knows who he is. Mm-hmm. She actually just laid there for several hours bleeding. And muddy oh. and feeling very ashamed. 
the reason that she felt shame is because, of course, she was very engulfed in her Catholic religion. And so in her mind, what had just happened, she had sinned. Oh, she yeah. was meant to feel very shamed so from that. Like blaming herself. Of course. Yep. Shaming because now, herself. Because oh. now she's no longer pure. Yeah. And it would be months before it was realized that Amelia was with child. So she had brought shame onto the family. She What she did was that night she did go home and she slept like in her clothes in her bed. And it wasn't until in the morning that she really realized this wasn't a dream and it really did happen. And my heart just hurts for her. Yes. And she did try to keep it a secret, of course. But then once she it's discovered that she's with child, she can't keep it a secret anymore. Her mom noticed the signs before she did, of course, because her mom's had a baby before. Mm -hmm. And so she tells them what happened. Okay. But she'd brought shame on the family because, you know, it's her fault that she got raped. And they made her marry Mariano. Yes. Stop it. Yes. Which, of course, he was elated because he was never going to get a wife as beautiful and as high in stature as she is. Right, gets, I need my women's rights t-shirt right now. Every, for Actually, sure. I don't have one, but I need <laughs> one right now. Someone make us one. Yes, yes. Um, oh, my gosh. The trauma. Mm-hmm. I can't handle this right now. So Mariano gets everything that he wanted. Okay. But here's the problem. Her family has disowned her. Like, you brought shame on your family and you wanted to do this. You're going to marry him so that he can make it, you know, do right by you. But we are not accepting you anymore. She was kicked out of her house. She was given no money, nothing. So she goes from living in a nice home and and being a um, higher part of society mm. to literally living in filth oh and living in places that she's never even walked by before, let alone live in. So literally from living, living from luxury to squalor. It was on that night that Leonardo Chanchuli was conceived. And that is who this case is about today. What a horrible story of how you came, came to into be. the world. Oh, yeah. Now, needless to say, on April 18th, 1893, when Leonardo came into the world, after days of Amelia being in labor alone and scared, not really knowing what was happening, Mariano was off on one of his long binge drinking, drinking binges, excuse me. So she was all alone. One of the women in the village did take pity on her and asked another girl to go and fetch the midwife. Uh, but it was a really traumatic birth as well. She lost, con- Amelia lost consciousness a lot. It went on for days. Oh it gosh. was horrible. An it sounded 1800s like, birth. I, yep. Oh my God. And it sounds like she almost died. And so this is you so add sad. the trauma of how the child was conceived to then the trauma of the birth, which even a child conceived out of love, when you have a traumatic birth, the mother is statistically more at risk for having postpartum depression. Okay, just from how traumatic of a birth it is. Yeah. So when you add these two components, needless to say, Leonardo was not a welcome sight. I'm glad the Amelia. dogs are here to comfort me I right know, now. me too. They are keeping us company tonight. It's like they knew. She is bitter. Amelia is bitter and mostly alone except for her very, very physically abusive husband, okay? Mariano had continued to rape Amelia, of course, and but he also escalated to just being physically abusive. Like I said, he didn't like her. 
he, yeah. he hated everything she stood for. And so he enjoyed the power, having the power and control over her of taking her in his mind down a peg. And so he beat her, especially when he was drunk physically and then of course this raped is her like the saddest story i've ever heard most it gets worse so so she's mostly alone because he's off he doesn't he's not working like he's doing odd jobs and it's kind of working but leonardo's childhood was abusive neglectful and traumatic and i'm sure that comes as no surprise that it lacked love now they had to move a lot because mariano was not a provider so they got kicked out of places um he liked to drink any money that he did make and all of Amelia's power over her life had been stolen from her the night of the rape, of course. So she took all of her anger, rage, resentment, and feelings of powerlessness out on Leonardo. Oh. Because her child is the only thing that she did have power over. Leonardo does not really remember her father. He was gone drunk a lot more than he was home. And she was so young. But when she was three years old... He actually got very, very sick and was at a friend's house, but it took Amelia days to even realize that something was wrong and to even go looking for him because of how frequently he was gone on binges. When it was, she went looking for him and discovered that he was sick with fever, he was almost dead at that point, but they got him home, and Amelia didn't even attempt to nurse him to back to health. She just let him lay there and die, which, yeah. I mean. Okay. It is what it is. Right. And she had to, like, play the pretend, because this is three years later, so she's still a very young woman at this point yeah, in time. Yeah, she's probably still, like, teenage, yeah. late, tw- yeah, or early, early 20s, 20s, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Still so young. Mm-hmm. So she's not even remotely sad, of course, that he's gone. Leonardo does remember this, that when they were standing at the grave after everybody had left, she stood still standing there, because that is what the mourning wife is supposed to do. She spit in his grave. And she told Leonardo that that man was a pig and it's for the best that we're rid of him. Savage. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I can't sit here and say that I, I Wouldn't don't feel the same. Took, yeah, absolutely. He took everything he, from her. Uh, abs- yes. Yes. And, you know, could her family have reacted differently? Yes. But um, given the time. No. Yeah. That's how I mean, yep. that's how it was. Yep. She's no longer pure. She didn't have anything to offer them anymore. She, they so couldn't they awful. couldn't make a good match for her. But now Leonardo's like, all right, I am a widower. This is my second chance. You know, obviously she's not going to have be able to tap into the same society resources that she could have from her family. But she saw this as an opportunity to I'm free. better herself. Yeah. Yep. But she still does not love Leonardo. But now what's happening is she's leaving Leonardo home even more alone by herself while she's out drinking and trying to make matches for herself the other thing is is that she's like scraping she's still just scraping by you Mm -hmm. know Leonardo's not getting fed regularly I mean she's anytime that her mom is in her presence she is hearing all about how her fertility is a curse I mean she knows how she was conceived and how she's not wanted she's being physically abused she's being mentally abused Leonardo developed a lot of anxiety Lots of anxiety Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. And so being a widow and being a widow of Chenchuli didn't give her a lot of great prospects, okay? So the man that she does end up marrying, Amelia does end up marrying, is only slightly better off, but he basically ignores her, and now they're home alone a lot because they do have a little bit of money, so they go out more frequently and just leave Leonardo home. 
and she's left for like to have like leftovers and whatnot. They'll they would go eat nice dinners places and that they could, you know, could mm-hmm. afford. It's not it's it's better than what she had with Chanchuli, but it's it's not still not it's great. Not, it's not what she could have had with her family's resources. Right. So when she is twelve years old, Leonardo attempted suicide for the first time by Aww. by tying filthy bed sheets around her neck and attempted to hang herself, which did not work. It did leave marks on her neck though, and her mother said nothing about it. She tried again less than a year later at thirteen and it did not work again. Once again, her mom ignored her. Once Leonardo became of marrying age though, her mom suddenly had an interest in her. She was pretty like her mom. She had inherited her mom's looks. And she did have Dinolfi blood in her, after all. So this was her mother's chance to find a more suitable husband for her daughter and get her social status back. She knows she couldn't marry up, but maybe her daughter could, thus allowing her to reap the benefits of that, of a good match. However, while her mother was out whining and dining and going to tea parties and essentially, like you had said earlier, advertising her daughter to suitable more higher class suitable matches. Leonardo was doing the same thing because she wanted the F out of her mom's house. Like to her, as soon as she was of marrying age, she wanted to be gone. Mm -hmm. And she really saw marriage as the only way out of her mother's home. So she was desperate to be rid of her mom, of course. At this point in time, Leonardo is 23. She's single, ready to mingle. And her mom is purposely drawing out. Usually she would already be married by then. But what was happening was that her mom was enjoying being invited to all these socialite places because she had a daughter of age that she was purposely not making matches so she can continue to go to tea parties and dinners. How awful. Yes. So she is like, okay, I'm 23. I'm done. In 1917, Leonardo had had enough. She took matters into her own hands by narrowing her prospects down to one man, Raphael Pensardi who was several years older than she was, had a low-paying government job doing clerical work, but he loved Leonardo, and she loved him. He proposes, she accepts, and Amelia is so pissed because Leonardo had accepted Raphael's Raphael's proposals. She hated it so much she refused to attend the ceremony. Oh, wow. And this is basically where Amelia is done. She's now out of the picture. Just as much as Amelia's parents dropped her like a hot potato... Leonardo's mother is like, okay, I wash my hands of you. You chose Raphael instead of whoever a suitor that I could have given you. Oh, wow. Well, I'm not even surprised. It's There was so much resentment there Yes, until yeah, she could it, right. benefit. You Correct. Know. Yeah. It was never going to go good. Yeah. When she was married, she returned home to get her meager belongings. Okay. And this is where things go terribly wrong. Now, Leonardo was expecting a physical attack. Her mom was very physical with her all the time. But what she did was actually worse. What she did was she cursed the marriage. Now, abuse and insults she could have handled, but a curse to wish nothing but evil to befall Leonardo was the worst thing in her mind that she could have done. Because those were the words that she said. She wanted nothing but evil to befall her. Oh, wow. So, now remember, Leonardo has extensive anxiety, okay? And we know probably mental health issues stemming from her very, very tumultuous relationship with her mother. None of this is known in 1917, of course. But basically, 
What Leonardo does now is look at every single thing that goes wrong in her life as confirmation of the power of her mother's curse. So Italian curses are nothing to take lightly at this time. It's 1917. Now, according to the book, The Curse, I really liked how he quoted this, quote, her nervous disposition was no longer reinforced by her mother's berating, but instead an internal critic had taken up the mantle of abuser. So no, basically saying no longer is her mom in the position of mentally abusing her. Now she's mentally abusing herself in place of her mom. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nobody needed to tell Leonardo that she was failing in her role as a wife when she was so convinced of it herself. Raphael was a kind and reasonable man who couldn't understand his wife's oddities. He didn't understand why she wept when his dinner was burnt or cowered away from him when she stained the washing. He couldn't understand why every minor inconvenience seemed to be a huge dramatic crisis in her mind. Well, and end quote there. The reason that those little things were a crisis in her mind is her anxiety and the fact that she believes in the power of that curse. Mm -hmm. And so it is confirmation to her that that curse is working. To make matters worse, her anxiety also triggered seizures. So it turns out she was epileptic and they were stress-induced. So, of course, what happened to Leonardo is that she believed that her failing health was a part of the curse, which only made her anxiety worse, which only gave her more grand mal seizures. So this led her to believe that she was going to die at a young age. So she goes to a fortune teller to learn more about her life and how she could beat the curse. Okay. There were travelers called the Romani, which she actually shared blood with from her father's side, but her mother had always warned her that they're like evil, dirty, horrible people. All right. That you should fear them. They're going to rob you. They're going to kill you. All those things. They're horrible people. Well, she was so desperate that she shot, she sought out one of the Romani as they were coming. They're travelers. They come in and out of towns when they were in town, and she begged a, a woman for a palm reading. Now, the woman was like, uh, I don't you know, really know, but she re- reluctantly took her palm and assured Leonardo that she was going to live for a very long time. She told her that the seizures and headaches were not a part of the curse, but rather a sickness, and that she did not need to be afraid. She was, Leonardo was so relieved to hear all this that she nearly missed what the teller also told her. Quote, you're going to live a long life full of sadness. You will outlive every one of your children. Children. Oh my goodness. So, all right. Besides being ominous as fuck, right? Like that is terrifying. She's Uh, like. Yeah. No one wants that palm reading. No. So she continues to live on. Now, they're three years into the marriage, and they still had not had a child. And she, you know, her mom had told her how their fertility was a curse on the family. So she was really surprised that it took three years. And they were, they had economic hardships. You know, Leon, uh, obviously, Leonardo had the health issues. She was having those seizures so frequently. But they still wanted to have a family of their own. Three years into the marriage, they finally become pregnant. Within three months... Uh, she has a very traumatic and painful miscarriage. And when I say traumatic, I mean she bled a lot all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so that visually makes it even more traumatic. Absolutely. She did not know what was happening to her. So an, another woman in the town had to tell her what that meant and that the baby, you know, she wouldn't be having the baby. At this point in time, she's like, you know what? I can't, we can't do this. We need to move away 
so that we can get out of the reaches of my mom's curse. This, this was my mom's curse. We need to do this. So they move away and they're doing like these meager jobs. They're basically like little travelers on dirt roads. They're sleeping in fields. They're scraping to get by. They're working for farmers to make ends meet. They don't really like have a good place to settle down. This obviously made her anxiety worse, made her seizures worse, which made her it difficult for her to work a steady job. But in 1921, they do settle in Raphael's childhood home in Loria Potenza, which we've talked about Potenza before on this podcast. I thought so. Mm -hmm. And they had saved enough money from all their agriculture work that they were doing to put a deposit down on a small house. It was warmer here in southern, it was deeper southern Italy, and it seemed to really fit them. Leonardo was slowly coming out of her fears of her mother's curse because they were farther away at this point. So her anxiety was lowered. So her seizures were lowered, which made her feel better. Mm -hmm. Things seemed to be going well. She started to realize that if she kept herself calm, she could keep the seizures at bay. And so to her, she's like, oh, they're not a supernatural force out of her control, but something that she did have control over. Because good, also good. the palm reader had told her it's not a part of the curse. It's, right. a, it's a sickness. So she's like, okay, if I just calm, keep calm, I won't have them. So she even becomes pregnant and she carried to, to full term. She had her firstborn son, Giuseppe, in 1922. That is a fun name. I know. I knew you would like that name. I have some great names in this case. He was perfect. She was totally in love. He was a miracle because he had beaten the curse. Okay? Oh, yeah. She pampered him, doted on him, and now her entire existence is for him and to keep him safe. She decided motherhood was her calling, and so they're going to make do living off of one income for the time being. And she then next, she suffers another miscarriage that was caused by having a seizure and falling down during the seizure. Oh, gosh. So this solidified to her even more what a miracle Giuseppe was, right? Sure. They try over and over to have children, and over and over she would miscarry. Then all of a sudden, she was able to give birth to two daughters right in a row, and then another son. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So she's feeling like they're she's like, really okay. beating the curse at mm-hmm. last, all right? Well, then the children begin to fall sick. There's coughs, there's rashes, there's breathing problems. One of the daughters died coughing in her arms one night with her lungs filled with fluid. She was just a toddler. Very, very soon after burying her daughter, her infant son was, was found passed away in his crib. Doctors had no explanation and no one wanted to cut a tiny child's body open to look for deformities or anything like that so there was no medical explanation oh this is so sad so to her it's the curse sure i'm even over here like why is leonardo cursed like why is this happening so she has one daughter and still her eldest son giuseppe alive now she became so paranoid that the children the children could not go outside to play. I get it. Yep. She would not let them, especially Giuseppe, her favorite, out of her sight, and it was extreme. The grief, Her grief was maddening. She would rip her hair out of her head. Raphael genuinely loved Leonardo and knew that their life was not easy and that she had picked him out of love instead of wealth. So he tried to be gentle with her and let her do like with the children as she felt was needed to keep 
her to keep him the kids safe and to make her feel safe. Mm-hmm. But he even recognized that her obsession with the children was unhealthy. Now, what ends up happening is that Raphael um, helps pick up pick her up each time, and is like, "Okay, let's just keep trying to have children." You know. So I'm gonna. In short, what happens is Leonardo has 17 pregnancies in total. Oh my gosh! She loses three to miscarriage due to seizures. Embrace yourself. Ten children that she bears. She goes through the whole pregnancy. She gives birth. All die of illness before they reach their third birthday. Ten children. I she am buried, speechless. She buried ten children. I am speechless. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my this is. I feel so bad for this woman. I I know. Like this. Yes. What like, a horrible entire how can you say life. This is not a curse, right? I'm even over here right. like bitch cursed her daughter. Right. Right. I think so. This is so heartbreaking. So she ends up having four children alive in total. Okay. Now remember, disease is everywhere right now. Yeah. The early 1900s. I feel like with every, it sounds like they just so desperately wanted children, but with every loss, miscarriage, just like trauma, 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 trauma. And honestly makes her more and more detached to each child that does end up surviving. I don't like where this is going. Yeah. Um, Giuseppe is really the only one that she really, really cares for because the other three, she ends up convincing herself that they're going to die anyway. So she just goes through the motions with them. Just disattaches. And she doesn't abuse them. It's nothing like that. She does not uh, have that cycle on them, like what was bestowed upon her. Uh, But she is very detached, likely from all the trauma. For sure. Besides to Giuseppe, the firstborn. Yeah. Now, her husband's like, okay, this is getting a little out of hand. You are... Um, she doesn't have all four of them yet at this point in time in the story. I just wanted to let you know, I was kind of wrapping up in a nice, neat little bow because it's so many oh, kids. Yeah. I wanted you to know. Oh my but, gosh. Um, Do you, how, just out of curiosity, how many years did she go through all of this? Like with the ch- the pregnancies and the, um, like was it a long? It was, okay. it was uh, a long span of years because... She started, Giuseppe was born in 1922, and then, I mean, it was like a total of 20, over 20 years oh, of okay. going through that. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. He, her husband, Raphael, is like, you know, I think in the evenings it would do you really well to get out of the house. How about we get you a little cleaning job? Raphael sounds like a solid guy he for really back is. in the day. No, he like, really is. That's, even today's time, yeah. I'm like, good for you, mm-hmm. Raphael, but even for... For back then, he was exceptional. Yes, most definitely. He Aww. didn't abuse her. He yeah. wasn't mean. Yeah, he loved her. Um, he he could see that the attachment's unhealthy and was trying to get her a little, you know, side gig that could help them financially but give her some time away. It's so nice. He's my favorite Ninja Turtle, too. So, I mind I mean, too. You can't yes. go wrong with Raphael. You can't. So she's got a part-time cleaning job. She's cleaning. She cleans some banks, okay? And... When she's cleaning, she had to make her own soaps. So she learns that's a, that's something she picks up, learns how to make nice. her own soaps. Okay. It was at one of these cleaning jobs that her 10th child had actually passed away. And they waited until she got home to even tell her. Like, they didn't come get her from the job because they knew it would unravel her. And so at this point in time, she's like, you know what? We need to move out of the city where disease spreads so wildly. Because she wanted Giuseppe. 
especially to be safe. She mm-hmm. has at this point in time, Giuseppe and her daughter. So the other two aren't born yet at this point in time in the story, but they needed money to do that. So as I said, she was cleaning at a bank, right? What she goes ahead and does is she just writes herself in some deposits. NBD. Yeah. They'll not figure this right? out. Okay. In her mind. Just I, a little, little deposit. Right. I need money to make my family safe. They'll have no idea that that money's not really in this bank. It's an it's, IOU. Yeah. Well, I mean. So then I'm going to come and withdraw it. You know? I mean, I wrote it in. Now I'm going to withdraw it. Well, they were on to her. <laughs> Don't okay. Say. Even for early set, you know, 19, yeah. 1927, the bank guys. was strong. Yep. They still figured out that she wrote in her own Aww. deposits. And so now she went to prison. Oh, God. Yeah. And prison? A, a woman's prison that was run by Catholic nuns. Oh. Oh. Guys. No. <sighs> nay, nay. The nuns got a bad rap. I'm oh. sorry. No, the nuns. And there was no regulation. Like, at this point in time, they... We're trying, they had kind of reformed men's prisons, but they had not reformed women's prisons yet in 1927 Italy. So it was entirely the discretion of whatever the F the nuns wanted to do to you, they could. Mm. She was there for 18 months. In her prison time, she really only worried about Giuseppe. Like she wanted, she you know, like she has no idea what's going on with him. Well, now they're outcasts of their little town. Okay. And so. Uh, Raphael lost his job because of what his wife had done because he was uh, in clerical. He worked in clerical. I love how judgy this town is. Oh, well, I mean, come on. It's early 1920s. Like every yep, your wife you committed do, you fraud. are labeled. Yes, your wife. And done. Yeah. Well, we're just oh done. Italy gosh. is. They take no shit, man. No. Like, like you are done. Mm-hmm. You are branded and you have no chance in life. Exactly. You get zero points. Yep. Oh, my god! So, move on to the next town. Yeah. You are cast out. Which is exactly what they do. Now, they did still have some connections with Raphael's family, some distant cousins that were like, hey, you know what? So, you got a shady wife. She had good intentions. No big deal. Let's my kind of people. Come on over here. You're welcome in the in these parts. Right, right. So, they go ahead <laughs> and they a shady move. wife. Yeah. It's fine. So, they move to, to uh, Lacedonia. This is where, and actually, he gets another clerical job. The job came with a little house on the river that was actually quite sought after real estate. Oh. Now, they're doing really well here. The kids are happy. They have more money than they had before. Everyone's happy. And this was a place where fortune tellers were also known to roam through. And so when she became pregnant, again, she needed to know, is this one going to die too? So she goes to to a fortune teller. And the fortune teller tells Leonardo, in one hand, I can see prison. In the other, an asylum. Oh, God. She needs to stop getting these readings. For sure. For sure. I love our psychic. We both go to the same psychic. She's amazing. I'm not going to. Can't stop. Won't stop. No. But she needs to stop. But if she ever tells me in one hand, I see prison. In the other, asylum. (laughs) I'm done. Bye-bye, kitty. Like, we're we're done. (laughs) No. Yep. You're fired. Thank you. Mm Mm-mm. No more. So this was terrifying to her because at this time, if you think that prison, a woman's prison is bad, an asylum Ugh. is way worse. Chills going down my spine. Way worse. Just scariest Ugh. environment imaginable. Yeah. That's what it is. So she gives birth to a healthy baby boy. 
but kept herself, like I said, at a huge state of disattachment, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And she actually did not even pick the baby up out of fear of dropping him because of the seizures and killing him. So she didn't even like pick him up. She didn't get to bond with him out of that. And so she just felt this entire sense of huge doom looming, looming over her and the family. She continued to seek fortune tellers for answers. She would take long walks at night to try to settle it. And she just could not shake this feeling of huge doom coming. She started to collect books on the subject of fortune telling and then even eventually the occult and like Wicca and other Italian forms of the craft. Okay. And this is a side note. She ended up having one of the most extensive collections in all of Italy. Wow. Yeah. This is just where this, when they were in Lacedonia, um, this is where she started taking all that up. In 1930, the harvest season is ripe and well in Lacedonia and it's a full town affair. Everyone stops what they're doing and they go into the fields and harvest. They even sleep in the fields. And this is where they are when Leonardo wakes up and like felt a breeze that kind of came over the wheat and it kind of stirred her kids a little bit. And she was like, something isn't right. This isn't right. Then the breeze stops and everything is still again. And she's, she lays back down and she's like, it's here. Like the doom is here. Something oh is God. happening. Oh no. Then all of a sudden the earth starts to shake and all she can hear are screams. What happens is that there was an earthquake and it paralyzed her. Okay. The earthquake happens. She is paralyzed. She's on all fours in this field. Well, the town is in the field too. They're all, they're all harvesting. Like I had said, but the people who hadn't come to the harvest They're the ones screaming from town because all the buildings had collapsed. Mm. And she's so paralyzed. This was the doom that happened. She's so paralyzed with fear that she didn't run. Her and her family did not run back into the town to try to help the townspeople out from underneath the rubble like everyone else did. They stayed in the field and it saved their life. Oh, wow. Because there were aftershocks and the aftershocks lasted for two days the death toll of what was known as the um, Erpenia earthquake was over 1,400 people. Wow. Almost all of them in Elevino, Lacedonia. Oh, my gosh. Every single home was destroyed, including their own. And um, it would be 40 years before serious reconstruction ever took place. Holy cow. This had a profound psychological impact on Leonardo, as I'm sure you imagine. She believed that this catastrophic event was her own doing. It was the curse. Oh, my gosh. She was responsible for this. Now, she was also a huge narcissist, so she is, like, the center of all of her story, you know, or, or all, all of, of the world, like, to her, to her. So for her, that huge, that doom that had been leaving her so unsettled, that feeling, this was it. She had caused this. She literally th- believed that... She was the force that brought this to this town and killed them all. Now, at this point, they're forced to move on. The government did set up like little makeshift houses or whatever, but they chose not to do that. They just chose to to move on. So at this point in time, they are a family of six. They have two boys, two girls, but really still Giuseppe is the only one that really matters. And they settle in a little town called Correggio. You've convinced me. Yes. 
And what's interesting is that they were they were actually known in that town to be refugees from the catastrophic earthquake. So the town was super accepting of them and really welcoming instead of looking at them like any, oh. all their other moves where they were kind of looked at as like lowly yeah. scragglers. They are, you know, you're a victim of the earth, the earthquake. Of course, you don't have anything. So Raphael gets a clerical job right away because he's Good. so experienced, Good. of course. They settle in a house that actually had a little shop attached to the front of it. Now, at first, Leonardo was really, really shell-shocked. She was traumatized. Oh, and tra- on top of 10 billion pounds of previous trauma. Correct. And so she didn't speak at all. She was catatonic. Oh, my goodness. For quite some time when I just, they got to the town. I can't imagine just, like, the fear, the the tension, the anxiety this woman lived with. And it, then all of the confirmation bias that she's got going on. Mm-hmm. Everything that's going wrong is confirmation to her that her mother's curse has power. Yeah. And oh, the, the thought of, I will never escape this because she cursed my entire life yeah. for evil to befall me everywhere I go. Right? At this point, when she comes out of her catatonic state, she's like, you know what? She feels this great sense of relief. The doom is no longer holding, you know, held over my head. I caused that. I released it. It's gone. And she even started to no longer feel like she needed to watch the children every single second of the day. So, like, you know, she's in a, in a manic state, and she's get, you got the ups and the downs for sure. She wrote poetry and shared it with women of the town as a thank you for welcoming them so well and bringing food when she was catatonic and taking care of her family and just really helping them all along. And they all loved it. Things are going really well. They had a savings for the first time even because nice. people made donations. She takes to making soaps, and she even became super famous for it. Like her name, the soap maker of Corregio, was so oh my gosh, I love well those. known. Yes, that she it wasn't just her town, but beyond reaching oh, wow. came for her soaps as well. And, and she picks up on her studying of folk magic, herbal remedies, and she really, really became obsessed with it as a way to keep the curse at bay. So as people are traveling in and out of towns, she's bartering with them for soaps and treats and things like that. She was a hell of a cook as well. She's a great baker, great cook. So she's bartering for all these books. That's how she ends up with this huge collection throughout all of Italy is because she ran into a lot of people. She lives in this hustling, bustling town. And so they had, they would bring her the goods that she needed and they would trade her, her fabulous soaps. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's I, every time you tell me just like a little bit of good that she had, I'm like, yay, good for her. Yay. Cause I'm so scared of what's right. coming. For sure. Oh, so she also starts, women start coming to her because, you know, she's into this, what we would call kind of modern day voodoo, right? Uh-huh. She's very into that. People start coming to her for advice, readings of sorts. She starts to realize how she could read palms, how she could read tea leaves, how she could kind of manipulate some things, if you will. So, you know, you, you need help finding a husband? Go see the soap maker. Need advice on a job? Go see the soap maker. Her status was accepted among higher circles for the first time in her life. And the thing is, though, even with things going well, she still wanted to ensure that the curse could not affect their life anymore. So that's why she's learning and practicing these these spells. She would leave, um, like, 
talisman under Giuseppe's pillow and hang things over their beds, that sort of thing. You know, the wing of a bird here, the carcass of a mouse there. That's no big deal. Little this, little that. It's under it. your pillow, son, it will keep you safe. <laughs> I, I see no problems here. Proceed. Yes. She also became known as a fixer. Okay, so not a modern medicine woman, but a fixer. So are you knocked up? She's got a tonic that will strip the baby away. Oh, wow. Can't okay. get an erection? She's got a tonic that will make you rival the vigor of a stallion. Just take this dead mouse home. Yes. Put it under put your it under pillow, the bed. Rub it three times. You're good. On your penis. You can perform for and hours. Yes. Yes. And she's she's got oils. She has She's making all sorts of... I, I dig it. I dig I'm it. I'm picturing her. She starts off like if you've ever seen on the Hallmark Channel, The Good Witch. She's. I have it. It's so similar. It's so funny to me because I'm like, ooh, did they kind of like look at this? Not for the ending, but I mean, she's she makes all these different beautiful things that helps the town. And she's, you know, really a witch, but they don't really believe she's a witch. They just think she's very good at her having her little store. And whatnot. But it's, right now, things are going really well. She's selling. I mean, she, her soaps are busy. She is selling the hell out of these soaps, out of her tonics. out of. She's got appointments with women every day for advice and men, not just women. But in ni- by 1939, nearly a decade after they had arrived in Corrigio, they had built a solid life for themselves. And Leonardo had a more stable state of mind. And then World War II breaks out. Oh, gosh. Now, Giuseppe is a man of 17 years old at this point. He wants out of his mother's home, which is is not because she was abusive. It's because he got tired of being woke up in the middle of the night to walk through the woods and try to find the perfect spider web that she needed for a spell. Sure. Okay? She's not mentally stable, necessarily. She's just found an outlet an appropriate outlet for her instability. Mm-hmm. Uh, people come to her for all these different things. She's making the soaps. It's. It doesn't mean that the kids don't realize something's not quite right. Like most mothers don't hang the carcass of a dead mouse above your bed to keep you safe at night or wake you up to go search for spider webs. He, he loved his mom. He was just ready to be out on his own and, and out of her... Uh, constant watch because mm-hmm. I me- remember early on in his life he was never even allowed out of her sight he couldn't even play outside so I mean that in itself is a form of abuse but it was you know it was her anxiety not ill intentions and he wants to be a war hero so he's going to join the efforts to save mother Italy and while the people of Correggio are cur- cur- congratulating him why would I put those two words together it's a lot in my notes it is a lot while they're congratulating him on his bravery his mother slipped back into her madness with fear that this was how the curse was going to take her miracle after all she's like he can't even get into a little strife fight with his friends how is he going to survive war basically she's like the kid's a pussy and I know he's going to die immediately in oh the war. Oh my gosh. Honestly, that, I mean, for any rational person, even that would be a mm-hmm. horrible fear. Mm-hmm. So she did what any loving mother would do. She devised a plan for how she could guarantee his utter protection while away at war. She started dealing in what is known as, ooh, fetchutery. And I'm only saying that word once, and I'm probably butchering it. I'm sorry. And this would be her biggest magical workings that she's ever attempted. 
she would need to cloak Giuseppe with protection on the inside and out. But with most things in mystical traditions, there was what's known as the law of equal exchange. So in order to save a life, a life would need to be taken. Oh, Lord. And now we've reached the true crime portion of tonight's podcast. Oh, Lord. Okay. So. This is all all kinds of things were going through my head. This was not where I saw this going, but. Mm Mm-hmm. At this point, she is up most of every night writing out spells, mumbling to herself, and constantly cooking things on the stove and in her shop, which is not unusual for her to, you know, constantly be cooking things and whatnot. But what she has worked out through her readings is that she would need to take a life and then transfer it somehow in equal exchange to to Giuseppe before he left for war. She had never considered murder before. She really enjoyed helping people in the town, but none of that mattered now. All that mattered is her belief that she was cursed and that she would outlive all of her children, so she needed to do whatever was necessary to keep the curse at bay to save Giuseppe. I don't know that I would have thought any different, to be honest with you. Like, I kind of see her logic, and that's scary to say, but... What she's been through, I guess. I mean, this is where we're at, so... She knew that if she killed, she wanted it to be as painless for the victim as possible, and she wanted to ensure that there was no way she could get caught. It did take her a bit to figure out what her mediums would be. And when I say mediums, medium meaning how was she going to transfer the life that she took to her son to save his life? And remember, cloak him on the inside and out. So she would do it with the gifts that were given to her because at this point she truly believes that the reason that she was given these crafts was for this one life's purpose, to save her son. So her crafts were her ability to cook and her ability to make soap. Oh, God. Uh Uh-huh. Just wait for it. Oh, boy. I knew you were going to have a reaction. I literally wrote in my notes, just wait for it. (laughs) I knew I could anticipate your response. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Now, All right. Finding a victim for Leonardo was not hard. Think about her position in the community. She had appointments every day with women that she could manipulate with her readings. Absolutely. So her first victim was a woman named uh, Faustina Setti. She was a regular. She had troubles of love. She was a 40-year-old spinster who was a disgrace to her family because she was 40 years old and had never been laid. Oh, oh okay. You know? Just spinning away and withering away. Okay. So she was the butt of every joke about spinsters in the town. I feel bad for her. Correct. No man wanted her because she was so old at this point. They, you know. I would have been the spinster of the town. No. Dear God. God. No. (laughs) So... All right, just take me, Leonardo. Leonardo, fine. You can have me. All right. I can't. I'm not burying children (laughs) anymore. I'm done. I'm withered. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. The way Leonardo reasoned was that the reason Faustina had not been able to make a match was because she was not fated to wed. She had stayed a virgin all these years to answer a higher calling and be the sacrifice that was needed to protect her miracle child. Again, some narcissistic tendencies. Yes, this woman hasn't gotten laid her whole life so that she could die to save your kid. This was her purpose. Right. Who, by the way, has been going around town trying to get women into his bed because saying he's going to be a war hero. So come on. (laughs) 
So she comes in. She's like, I've got a suitor for you, but he likes, he wants to remain anonymous. You need to keep this a secret. I'm, I have already foreseen your safe journey, and the mail can be really troublesome between here and there. So I want you to write these letters to your family, letting them know that you've arrived safely, because, you know, I've already seen it right here in your tea leaves. I've already seen it. So oh, just write it. I'll make sure that they get postmarked after I know, after I foresee that you've gotten there safely. I'll send them off. Everything will be well. And then once you're there, then you can continue to write as you as you need. Faustina arrives early with her things. Now, Leonardo's energy was off the charts at this point in time. And it was kind of transferring on to Faustina. And so she's like, sit down, sit down. Let's have some wine before you leave. You've come to say goodbye. It's, early in, the mo- it's early in the morning, but we don't care. Morning wine. Yes, if, if you're not drinking breakfast wine, you're not doing wine right. <laughs> so she gets out a nice hearty glass of red wine and Faustina drinks it. She happily accepts it like, dang, yeah, I am nervous because I'm about to lose my virginity for the first time in 40 years right? and travel on my own. I'm this old is as scary. shit. The town makes fun of me. Right. This is my chance. This is, I've been, this is my moment yes. that I've been waiting for. So she drinks it up. She does note that it tastes a little bit funny, but that'd be because it's laced with poison. Oh, there now, it is. I got to give you trigger warning for the rest of the episode. Okay. It's all down from downhill. this point okay. on. Festina becomes sleepy and dizzy, and all of a sudden Leonardo is gone. Then she's back again with an axe. Oh. So again, trigger warning so loud right now. Because it's gruesome. Holy shit. I was thinking it was going to be a peaceful death. Oh, no. Couldn't just stop at the poison. No, I no, guess no. not. And you'll understand why in a moment. Okay. Now, the axe was too heavy for Leonardo because she had made Raphael do all of the wood chopping. She wouldn't even let her kids do it. It was, it was, it was Raphael's job. Okay. So this bitch can't even wield an axe. And that's a problem. Because her first swing misses its mark and goes down right into Faustina's shoulder. Oh, God. Now, she... She course, didn't do any practice well, swings, I she think. Was, no, obviously not. Oh. In all of her spells, she didn't think about the physical weight of Might the axe. throw that around a little right. bit before we... Maybe take something for strength. I don't know. Right. Whip up a spell for strength, a Leonardo. Bird's foot or something yes, for the strength. Exactly. You know, the tiny titty of a rat. I'm not sure, but do something. One rat nipple, <laughs> a dead a dead foot, the yes. perfect recipe. For strength. Yes. For strength. Yes. Makes sense. And the urine of a donkey. Possibly a bull. <laughs> there we go. You know, the hair of a donkey. You're yes, in a bubble. My bad. I, I'm a God, little rusty on my spells. I can't believe that. We can't, We have some cooking upstairs right now. I can't believe you would be so rusty. Oh, this just is so cringeworthy thinking it of is. like the axe. Oh, God. So she does cry out even though she's poisoned and, you know, like she cries out. Now, Leonardo was pa- panicking at the sight and the smell of the blood. I'm sure. So then she brings the axe down quickly again, but she was still too weak. And the axe, instead of going like through the skull as she was planning, deflected off the bone and shaved off scalp and face no. in a big mess that landed on the floor. No, no. And I am no. I'm wrapping this up neatly compared to how it is in the book. 
I can't handle a face on the floor. No, nope. cannot. Just part of it. Yep. Yep. I'm going to tell you. Couldn't go through the bone. Like, I mean, if you really think about it, though, I mean, the force that it would take to put it. And I'm sure it's not a sharp axe. You've you've gotten me for the first time. My mouth is watering. I might heave. I'm not even. Once I stop, I, I, once I start, I can't stop. I'm just And I'm you. a sympathetic puker. We and can't. This like equipment is expensive. We cannot be barfing right. all over. I will pull myself to get. That is so no, disgusting. No ralphing on the equipment, please. I will turn. I'll do it in my drum of water over okay. here. <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. You <laughs> haven't large. picked that cauldron up in a while. She's about 10 pounds at least. She is. <laughs> uh, so now, Leonardo, or excuse me, Faustina is still crying out, but there was no going back. Leonardo continued to swing the axe until bit by bit, remains of Faustina fell onto the floor. Now, there is blood everywhere, and then suddenly she realized how can... Faustina still be screaming? No, that was her that was screaming, not Faustina. Because Faustina was gone. She dropped the axe, and there was so much blood on the floor that it made a splash when it hit the floor. Oh, my God. So then she essentially dismembers the body and hangs up different parts to drain the blood and collect the blood in the pots, in two pots, okay? As, and I'm sorry. Forgive me for... My trauma has uh, clouded my memory, but where is she at? She's in the kitchen. She's in her family home home kitchen that is connected to her shop. Remember their home had a little shop in the front? Yes, yes. That's her soap shop. I wasn't sure if she was in the shop or at home. It's all the the same. She's cooking in her family's kitchen where she serves them dinner every night. Honestly, I'm glad that Faustina did not make it because if my face is gone, just end like I don't yeah. want. Yeah, definitely. Nope, most don't definitely. Go on. If my face ever falls onto the floor separate from my body, D- done. Then yeah, I would just be like, all right, bye. I'm bowing out. We're yes. done here. Give me the axe. I'll I take will care do of the it. Rest. My, absolutely. Oh my god. Yeah. So what she does is she's just you know kind of like how you dry some herbs. She just hangs them up so they drip into pans because this is what she's doing with the blood. Everyone, she is baking it. And then she is crunching it up once it's baked. She waited until it was coagulated, then baked it. I told you, she's a hell of a cook. Resourceful bitch. Uh, Absolutely. So then she grounds it up, and she goes ahead and makes tea cakes out of it. Oh, God, no. She has to protect him from the inside Okay, so the tea cakes are going to be inside. Yes, the spell can only work. If she can transfer one equal exchange life for the other and how her mediums are going to be her tea cakes that he eats, Mm -hmm. then she takes the rest of her remains. We're talking hair, bones, all of it. She puts it in what I can only imagine is one hell of a big cauldron because why would we picture anything else right now? Mm. And she puts in what is called... Caustic soda, which is used to render the fat to make her soaps. Okay? Okay. So the rest of the remains, it breaks down everything, renders the fat out of everything, turns everything liquid except for that fat that you strain with a ladle out. For the soap. Yep, for the soap. So that's how she's going to make the soap. By golly, I got to give her some kind of morbid credit. I agree. Because simultaneously... 
she is destroying all of the rest of the evidence. Because if it yeah. caustic soda will break down everything, hair, teeth, nails, everything, bone, flesh. You're, gu- you're good, Leonardo. So you are good. Her cooking. This is like a chef being diabolical. Yeah, yes. Taking your your actual understanding of the culinary process. And using it for and murder. Yes. That is what she does. Do you remember the story Streganona? Mm-mm. So it was a, um, it's a classic child's tale about... The grandmother witch in the town, and she like she's the one that people come to for spells. It's like Streganona from hell. Wow, it's like the spaghetti pot bubbles. Yes, like yeah, that's how I'm. Yeah, uh, this is like Streganona from the depths of hell. Yeah, gone wrong for all the morbid people. Now every time my son and I used to. Read Streganona all the time. It was one of our favorites. Oh. Can't read it ever again. No, I'm so sorry. I will think now of. Now it's Leonardo. <laughs> yes, I will think wow. of Leonardo. I don't now. know. Maybe that's where they got <laughs> the, the thought and they just made it into a child's tale. Because there is a lot of stuff about this case that is made into later tales. into pop culture. Honestly, that could, it could be. be. It, well, her name is Leonardo. God, I didn't find anything about it that says that Streganona was, I, I don't know, but that seems... They're like, like a hell of a coincidence. They're like, we'll stop at the dismemberment. Mor- uh, yeah. yeah, and we'll turn it into a spaghetti yep. pot boiling oh, over. Because it boils into the whole town. Like the spaghetti, she has this magical pot that makes spaghetti Gosh. and mad But aunt- seriously, when you think about spaghetti, that does, it's <laughs> Now I'm going to research and fleshy. it. Because it just, like the whole, the start of it until it goes yeah. terribly wrong. Yeah. It's like Streganona. Oh, God. She's this like the be. town. We like, maybe need to look into this. Yeah, you it need might a, be man, a connection. You need this. You need like that. That's who they went to is Streganona, and she had a magical spaghetti pot that would boil for the whole town. That is going to be fucked if that is where their inspiration was. <laughs> I can't like unknow this now, and I'm okay. really wondering if there's a correlation. Well, I'm going to tell you, she's not happy. Her tea cakes, she she does sample them. They do taste a little irony. She did not. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, she did not account for the fact that the blood would make it taste tingy and irony. Okay. She's like, I need something to cut this iron with. Yep, yep. So, however, when she had uh, appropriately let the remains boil long enough to where it should have rendered fat, she opens up the pot and she sees nothing but a brown, slimy, absolute, sloppy, sloppy, job there's that mouth-watering sensation uh-huh. again so she's she's pissed she's like no fucking soap it didn't work it did not work and so she takes the pots she dumps them in what is described as a septic pit so essentially just like in the shitter okay and she's like not happy with herself she's got to come up with Another plan. She's sticking with the plan. She's got to come up with another victim. I was just going to say, don't tell me she's got to start over. No. So she in she actually took her own clothing, soaked them in vinegar to get rid of the blood stain. Okay. She cleaned the wine decator that had uh, poison in it. She cleaned up, mopped up the floor, everything with all her homemade cleaning supplies, everything. Nice, neat, and tidy while she had the remains boiling and the blood baking. She's just cleaning house. I, so I'm just like, I can't believe as a true like cook that she is. She's got to try her the cakes like. Oh yeah, she had she did. Like, are these gonna 
but be good enough. She didn't want them to go to waste, so then she just gave them to all of her guests that came into the shop. So Faustina tea cakes were given to the town and to her family. No. I I wish I was kidding. Oh my gosh. And no one thought anything of her carrying these buckets because she took she poured the liquid stuff out of the pans and into the buckets, took it to the septic pit. She did stuff like that all the time because right. she was constantly cooking and, and making soaps. And right. sometimes soap batches would go bad, so you just throw the whole thing out. So everyone's like, she's just doing her, her thing. Yep. Now, this is actually from her official statement about Faustina. I threw the pieces into a pot, added several kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the mixture mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush. Then I poured into several buckets and emptied in a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine. Kneading all the ingredients together, I'm... I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. Wow. Okay. Wow. So there's that. Now, she only had three months at this point before the military recruiter was due back in town to take Giuseppe away. So she's decided, her, she's convinced herself that the reason that Faustina did not work out is because she did not take into account that the exchange had not been an equal one. Giuseppe was young, and he had his whole life ahead of him, so she needed to take a younger life. Because, you know, that's where it, she that's, was a 20-year-old yeah. or a 40-year-old spinster. That's where it went wrong. That's Mistake why number one. There's no soap. Didn't take into the fact that this poor woman didn't have any fat on her body, and so that's more than likely why there was no fat to be rendered. But, okay. And I know that because of more gruesome details I'll tell you in a minute. Her next victim was a school teacher, school teacher named Francesca Save. And she was really well-liked by everyone. She was a young widow, and she had to quit her job to take care of her ailing husband. But now she needed a new job, and she was not finding one that fit well for her. Remember, it's very hard for women to find work that was considered appropriate for them at this time. Right. All right? It's 1940. So, this is her next ploy. She tells Francesca that there is a job in an, at an elite school in uh, Pizenza that they wanted her for. All right? She followed the same format of this um, elite school doesn't do advertising. They, um, you have to keep everything, like, very much on the hush-hush until you get there. The mail service is spotty. I have foreseen your safe travel. Write notes to your family, letting them know you you arrived well and that you're safe. So, September 5th, 1940, Francesca arrives early uh, to Leonardo's house, or, yeah, home, to say goodbye before she departed. She sat in the same chair. Oh. As. Oh, God. Yes. As Faustina. She drank the same wine, and this time, Leonardo had decided that she wanted it to be cleaner. Oh, and good. So while Francesca is drugged and like in a in in a delirium and like a, essentially asleep. All right, so she stripped off her clothing and she ended up stealing all of her money that she had on her as well. Now she was not as frenzied this time. Okay, 
she is like, I am going to make this much cleaner. So she brought the axe down in the center of Francesca's skull. And then she just tipped her and had essentially the skull draining into basins. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. To keep it cleaner. I was hoping you were going to say she didn't use the axe, but she just got better with the axe. Stuck with the axe. Just, yes, got probably sharpened it. I don't know. Made it. This was much more organized. Did some push-ups in between. I'm not sure. But this time. She's up to the one-handed push-ups. Yes. It did not bounce off the skull. It actually broke the skull. And then she was able to drink. It was quick. quick. Thank you. Exactly. As opposed to the first one. And both times she has, she's poisoning them to make it less painful for them. It does. It is numbing the neurons, uh, you know. Uh, supposedly that's what she thinks is happening i mean uh, we I'm have gonna we, assume we can't we have no i no way to tell but given what she admits to like giving them later and it, it should have yeah so next she separates the head limbs and limbs from the torso and it was not like a clean surgeon job okay this is like a hacking away and i'm giving you these gory details because it's important later she sees like a yellow layer of fat that was not present with faustina because she was faustina was malnourished and too slight of build so she's like oh wait perhaps this is why it had not worked after all and it wasn't due to mystical reasoning or the exchange not being equal it was simply because she, she didn't, didn't have, have any, any fat, fat. Because times are hard right now, and we're eating potatoes, and that's about it. One potato a day. I mean, so she could see gristle and bone and details that are important for later. Now, she was very detached in her, I don't mean to use that word lightly, I mean, like, in her emotions. Mm -hmm. She's just going about this like a basically like a business. Yes. Business as usual. Basically like how a butcher would. Just blah, blah, blah. This is what I need to do. Puts her in the pot. Caustic soda. Bakes the blood. Makes the cakes. All of that. So this time, the cakes had such an iron taste that it actually like like did a little zing in her mouth. Mm. So to Leonardo, the spell is working. That must be the spell. Uh, Not the fact that there's too much iron in this. Uh, yeah. I'm so, ga- I'm gagging. Mm-hmm. It's like metally, like can you feel it? It's like Yes. I'm I, picturing like if you accidentally put tin foil in your mouth. Yeah. And it zings. It's like that. Or like the ba- a battery. Like you're yes. chewing on oh, a yeah. battery. Yeah. Yes, for all those times that we've <laughs> chewed on batteries. Have it, you know when you mm-hmm. have do you ever put your tongue on the nine well, I volt? Mean, like when I was nine. Not I didn't do it yesterday. <laughs> no, but yeah. no, as right, a kid. Right. But I'm just picturing that like zing of mm-hmm. ugh. And there, she's for like, sure. This is I've I've got it now. Yep, exactly. Well, when she goes over to lift the lid off from her caustic soda concoction. She got the same slop as the first time. She was enraged. She grabbed the nearest pot to throw it across the room, and she realized that the handle was hot. She ended up, like, searing her palm really, really bad. Oh. She decided she was being punished for her sins, and she understood that she would need to bear the weight of them, and she accepted this. But when Giuseppe came home that night, he thought that perhaps his mom was becoming even more mad and that she needed to be watched carefully because he's like, you like, and she's like, no, no, I just, I was being careless. Now the kitchen's cleaned. Things are, everything is essentially just like it was. She's cleaning things up really quickly. She did um, dump the remains of 
Francesca into the septic pit, just like she did with Faustina. Now, she is certain at this point in time that something went wrong with the spell that was causing the ingredients to be useless for soap. So it took her the entire next month of study in all of her books to get it fully worked out and corrected in her mind. What she was missing is the emotions. One more time with emotion. She decided... (sighs) She's been going through both deaths very unemotionally because these women didn't mean anything to her. If she is to save a life of someone she loves, then she has to take a life of someone that she loves. Oh, God. This is what is missing from her spells and the law of equal exchange. And in a sick and twisted way, it makes sense. Right? I mean, I get it. In her mind that it's gotten this far. It's like, yeah, like. Yep. Like that's, that's what it is. And she has to keep going because she has to protect her son and she can't have those other two deaths be in vain. She is so far into this. For sure. And believing every, every bit of it. Yes. Her next victim then had to be someone that she had affection for. And as it would turn out, a good friend of hers was looking for advice and looking to get out of the town. This woman was, was Virginia Cassiopo. She was a soprano singer, singer, wow, singer, and performed on elaborate stages in Milan. She was like a really, oh, really nice. good singer. Her life was valuable like Giuseppe's, and she would be missed. And killing her would be emotional for Leonardo because she re- really, really enjoyed this woman. Oh, my god! This woman was like high society in town, helped Leonardo become high society in town. They were good friends. Like, she got, she got well-known in part because of Virginia. So she's like, she really, really did like her. Wow. So she's like, this one will make me Mm -hmm. sad. Yes. Yep. I will have a hard time with this. This one, this won't be okay. And this is how it has to be done. So what she does is she tells her that she has a job for her from a mysterious impersonario in Florence, which that is like a, a TV producer today, that job. Okay. Is like a TV producer, but back then it was for like shows and like we could get you on stage again. And so this TV producer needs a secretary and is in, has heard you sing before, wants you to possibly take stage again. So, but he wants to remain, this is all on the DL. Like you can't, he doesn't, he's famous. He doesn't want people knowing who's working for him. So it all made sense to her at that point in time. Same song and dance, write the letters, let's get this done. So on September 30th, now it was September 5th that uh, Francesca died. Mm -hmm. September 30th, 1940 is when Virginia comes to say goodbye. Same thing happens, okay, this time sets her down. Now, it's she did not want to drink the wine, but Leonardo almost got like mean about it, like you have to. And so she's like, "Okay, if it means that much to you, we will have a glass of wine together before I leave." Like, fine. And it's, you know, the poison and all of that. Now, she she commits her murder the same way as Francesca with just the one um axe on the head, you know, sp- sp- split the head, uh-huh, drain it, all of that stuff. Now, I will say there's also some jealousy too. At this point in time, Virginia did come in her furs and all of her jewels. Oh. And she was quite wealthy. And so she was like, oh, okay, hoity bitch. Yeah. You know, I'll and show the, you. Yeah, there was some jealousy there as well. But she, when she was poisoned, she stripped her of everything. She got quite a bit of money off from her, as a matter of fact. 
put all of her trunks with the same, you know, these women have all their belongings with them because mm-hmm. they're leaving town, every yeah. one of them. So she's been putting those in a closet. This is a- according to Leonardo Chanchuli's statement. She ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When I had melted, I added a bottle of her cologne. And after a long time on the boil, I was, to, I was able to make some of mo- the most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's her statement. Oh. Oh, yeah. Wow. So she was delicious. Yeah. Yep. And the others weren't. And, and what it comes down to, really, is the fact that Virginia had money and was well-fed and well so taken care of. So she was a little more, of. like... Yes, she plump. was plump. Yeah. More, more. She wasn't malnourished, essentially. So that is, and that's why it worked. Oh, she was wow. able to render some fat oh. to be able to make the soap. I would make some damn good soap. <laughs> Dear God, listen to this. this is this is what us. I've become? This is where we're at <laughs> now. Because when I was writing this, all I could think of was, "Fuck, I would be sludge." You would have been discarded. I would. No I would have been in the septic pit. They. I don't want to brag, but they would have been raving about me. You're so saying. Man. Nope. I'm not. I don't think I'm making creamy soap. I just made that comment like without hesitation. Like this is, this is where I'm at. This is what a podcast does to us, by the way. (laughs) But you know what? Someday if you're feeling bad about yourself, which by the way, it's not, I will, I'll actually say that um, in looking at the pictures, you can just tell that she was. She was a healthy woman, and that's how I would describe you. Like you are, you are a beautiful, healthy woman. Healthy, I like you are that. N- you are not nearly what you always joke about that you think you are. You no, are I know. perfectly proportioned. I just like to come and, with the the joke, right? Sometimes, but, but it is true. I would not. I would. You would have been, been the slimy. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So I would probably have like the yellow fat that she was described <laughs> that, from. That was useless. To yes, them. exactly. <laughs> Like just enough to provide separation between the skin and the bone. Yes. Yeah. I'm laughing to cope. Oh, me just too. So, you absolutely. Know. So this our listeners do. don't think we're that no. morbid. This is absolutely what we do. Yes. This is my coping because, skill. And, and we needed it because what she does next is creepy as hell. Oh, no. Because remember her whole purpose for doing this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah she's got her tea cakes and she's got her soap. Game so on. Now she's got to protect her son. Feeding him the tea cakes... No big deal. But how is she going to make sure that the soap touches every bit of his body? He is a 17-year-old boy. Oh, yeah. So right before he's to leave for for or the military, she insists on bathing him. Insists. Now, remember, she does crazy stuff all the time. Sure. So he's like, one more thing. I just have to do one more crazy thing for her, and it's fine. But it traumatized him because she rubbed the soap on every. And I do mean every bit of this 17-year-old oh boy's body. So he was violated. Yeah, at that age, I mean, that's just yes. so inappropriate. And then she made him sit down and have tea cakes. And this is all unbeknownst to Giuseppe, that he just had a woman, a dead woman spread a all over bath. his body. Yeah. And now he's eating her. Oh, my And this is the gosh. third person that he's ate. Poor Giuseppe. Yeah, he's been eating people for, for a sure. long time. So has she, and so have the people that have come for readings from her, unbeknownst to oh them. Oh my gosh. Never going to touch a tea cake. Right. I'm telling right. you. Right. Exactly. Wow. 
So, needless to say, he he's like, dis- this is he, it. Yes. I'll do it. He's right, re- and he's ready to be done with her. He also is just he was so embarrassed. He didn't want to talk to her. Anything he that was that was very very traumatizing yeah, to him. That's horrible mm-hmm. for a seventeen year old boy. Yep, that's got to be so degrading, shaming, like yep. violating. Ugh. Yep. So the the deed is done. The spell is cast. He's fully protected. All right. That was a lot of work. Yes. Yes. But she's feeling wonderful now, right? Oh, she's carrying oh good. On, living her life. However, Virginia's sister is growing suspicious of her sudden disappearance and knows that she was last seen entering Canchuli or uh, Leonardo's Leonardo's house. So she reports her fears to the superintendent of police, um, Reggio Emilia, who opened an investigation and soon arrested Leonardo. Now, Leonardo did not confess to the murders until. What the police initially find out is they go and they raid the house. They find the um, trunks oh, of all of the, the women. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. She's not, Leonardo is not not um, confessing. But they know after in doing an investigation that all three of these women, the last place they were seen was entering her shop and never coming out. Yeah. But they're like, this little old witchy woman, she couldn't kill anybody. But you know who could? Who could? Giuseppe. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Poor Giuseppe. So Giuseppe is arrested because he's clearly luring these women, doing vile things to them and murdering them. I love and, the, the detective work here. Yeah. Like, no, and she, we, she not, doesn't look like she could do no, this. She, the town respects her. She was probably She like, comes for advice. Here, have a tea cake. I'm sorry for yeah. your troubles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So then Leonardo's like, oh, hell no. I didn't go through all of this for you to arrest my son and and sentence him to death or, yeah. you know, or something. Like, that's not, this is not how I'm going to lose him. So she confesses. She full that on is like, it. it was me. They're like, oh, sweet grandma, mama. <laughs> Look at her trying to protect her son. Isn't she Who's the cutest? The cutest? <laughs> Who's the cutest? Oh, you cool little mama. My big you. bad mama. Oh, oh my yep. god. So that's when she's like, I'm gonna tell you what, motherfuckers. <laughs> you wanna know what I saw? I'm gonna tell you what I saw. I saw gristle and I saw yellow fat and I saw white fat and I did this and this is how I did it in the cause. I mean, she gave them details that only a murderer who was there could oh yeah no for sure and they have of course giuseppe is like i know i was not present i did not know any about any of this it takes them a little while but they do decide to start paying attention to all of these details that she's giving and realize because at first they're like oh she just helped she helped him giuseppe had to have been a part of this but he had alibis and so eventually it's it is They're just all her. holding mm-hmm. each other, crying, like realizing the truth. And- right. Oh, exactly, exactly. And Raphael is a really uh, is a good man. He's a respected man in town, and he wanted to stay by her side. Okay, but he he did eventually have to leave town. It took. She was arrested, but it took six years for her trial because of World War Two. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So. She was not tried until 1946. Now, she's 53 at that time. And 
Raphael did remain by her side as much as he could. But oh, Raphael. He ended up drinking himself to death <gasps> before she even went to trial. Oh, no. Yeah, he really spiraled. Oh, I'm sh- I mean, how could you even handle and that? The other, the other children, when all of this came to light and what was happening, and they all, everyone realizes they'd been eating people all along, unbeknownst to them. The other children, like, fled. Oh, my God. They're I, gone. I get it. Yes, because she had three other kids besides Giuseppe. And I purposely not told you their names because I wanted to reiterate to you guys how much Giuseppe meant to her. I felt like if I gave the other names, then it would really take away from the fact that, like, in her mind, Giuseppe was all that mattered. Yeah, yeah. Giuseppe did leave for war and never spoke to her again. The other thing, she was so, like, matter-of-fact and, like, loving the attention from her trial, as we see from most narcissists, that one expert testified that caustic soda would not get rid of hair, teeth, bones. She stood up and corrected his ass (laughs) in the middle of the trial. She's like, literally, she said, bring me a body. Bring me a body right now. I'll show you. She says in her trial, which wow, I, I hate that I kind of like her. Like I don't like her. There's, but there are elements of her that I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. I at this point in time, I probably would have done the same yeah. thing. There's part of me that truly like grieves for her because of the life she had, and it was horrible, yes. and the mental illness and that she suffered. Also, but. like as sick as she was, she did very unstably love her son who never speaks to her again. And that had to have been like the worst for her. But also like at this to her, she's like, it's fine. I protected him. My, I did what I knew I needed to do to break the curse that my mom put on me. So fine. I'll go to prison the rest of my life. That's cool. But like, you're not going to, to tell me that that's not how I did it. Mm -hmm. So she stood up and corrected the guy who has, was deemed an expert on the stand (laughs) She's like, you are no expert, sir. I the, beg to differ. They Bring have been me a like, body. Are we, so we're done now. Yeah. We're good. We right. can wrap this up. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. Then they were asking about, um, you know, the tools and utensils and whatnot. And she said to the judge, I gave the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off of the kettles, to my country, which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war. So literally a ladle, a a ladle that was used in these murders was also used to make weapons for Italy. I don't know. Plus her generosity. Well, the judge even was like, no, you're not a hero here. You're not. I don't care if you did give something to the war efforts as Mother Italy asked you to sit down. Like he was not I love it. how she was trying to be like, but I, I donated. Yeah, for sure. I gave she absolutely back. Was. Now, she was found guilty of her crimes, and she was sentenced to 30 years in prison and three years in an asylum. Oh, wow. Remember that That's... reading? One hand in prison, one hand in Shutters. asylum. Shutters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So her time in prison actually was not that bad. She was met with cheer and a standing ovation. Um, <laughs> that's so, it's not funny, not funny. Okay. Right. But th- at this point in time, her trial was very heavily covered in the media. She was speaking openly in the media. She was happy because she did what she set out to do. Yes. She broke the curse in her mind. She doesn't care that she's going to prison. So she talked to everybody and anybody who wanted to give her attention. She's never had attention like this. She's always wanted to be 
accepted in she society. She had her moment. Who cares? She did. Who cares if it's you know, the black sheep or with, the black witch or whatever it is. With her anxiety, that controlled, yes. structured environment, she probably was happy. She was. She, it's And actually, she didn't have to scrape by for food. She didn't have to worry about not having happen. a job. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about a job. You want to know what job they gave her in prison? Because she's Don't old. Don't say cook. Don't say Oh, <laughs> she's the motherfucking cook, Amber. Oh, my goodness. I love, I love it slash... Like what? That prison had a sense of humor. For sure. But also it's like. But she's good at it. And at this point in time, everyone in the prison has to have a job. And they try to structure their job to their strengths. She was one hell of a cook. Heck yes. As a matter of fact, she was such a good cook. She wrote a 700 page autobiography. And in it are tons and tons of recipes. It goes through the entire story of her life, okay? Many of the, many, many of the stories were never substantiated. And if they are true, then she slept with half of her country. Oh. So there's some exaggeration happening. She's okay? like, if I'm going As, down, I right. want to be a slut, like, too. If, if <laughs> I'm going to write an autobiography. I will have slept with more than one man as well, you know? (laughs) And I'm not shaming. I shouldn't say this a lot. No, but seriously. At that time. Oh, definitely. That was no good then. Yeah. The other thing is is that um, she did take a lover, or excuse me, I'll I'll come back to that. Um, Her book, her, her autobiography, had a bunch of recipes and her knowledge of cookery and literally... Those recipes are alongside gruesome details of her murders. And the book was one of the most complete collections of traditional Italian baking techniques ever written and is still referred to by some top chefs in Italy today. I got nothing. Right? I can't. I can't. I just wrote in my notes, what the what? I think Dorothea made a recipe book too when she was in prison. I think she did too. She also took a lover in prison, which doesn't surprise anybody. Oh. They all do. Now, I will tell you that Leonardo died of cerebral apoplexy in the Women's Criminal Asylum in Ponzuli on October 15th, 1970, right before she was due to be released. Wow. She served her time and then was in the asylum, and that is when she died. And wait for it. The cause of the brain bleeding was discovered by doctors who were looking over her case notes to be caustic soda vapor poisoning. <gasps> yeah, because she, first when she was 20 years into her sentence, she had a stroke and it, she had a very small bleed on her brain that they discovered, but they couldn't, like, which the brain bleed is what caused the stroke, mm-hmm. not the stroke causing the brain, brain bleed. And they are like, they had no idea that what they chalked it up to at the time was her traumatic childhood. She was beat, beaten frequently mm-hmm. as a child. And so they're like, oh, that's probably from that. Well, then as time went on and she still, I mean, it, it was a very slow, slow process and slow deterioration and slow death that they're looking through her case notes and kind and comparing images and whatnot and realizing, oh no, that was caustic soda vapor poisoning. Oh my gosh. The, In an ironic, ironic twist. Oh my Karma. gosh. Sometimes it slaps back. Takes a while, wow. but... Now, yeah. so she... Did she outlive all of her children? 
I'm getting to that. Oh, point. okay. Mm-hmm. I have yep. to know. So I will say that psychologists did try to dissect her reasoning for her murders. And what it really boils down to is that she suffered mental illness her entire life that likely stemmed from her childhood trauma. I mean, that's really all we can, we'll really never know. Her children were very ashamed. It is believed that they took the chaos of the war as an opportunity to change their name. Now, record keeping was not a priority back then, and then it was non-existent during the war. And so it was the perfect time for them to slip through the cracks. There is no record of them, and it is not known if she outlived them or not. Oh, wow. As for Giuseppe, there is record of him going to Africa for the war, and when it ended, he would have still been there. But there is no record of him coming back from Africa. So he either died in battle or he took the opportunity to change his name prior to returning, fooling Italy as well. Okay. Gotcha. So, wow, in an how ir- mysterious. Right. In an ironic twist, she had lost her children because none of them spoke to her again. She was 77 when she died. I mean, woman's crazy, but I'm sad for her. Right? I mean, but how, how many readings did she have that, were, that yeah. came to fruition? She likely probably did outlive her children because her three children that ran off, they didn't even have their dad any, at that point in time. It's right in the middle, you know, right during the war. So who is to say that they really survived or, you know, had enough means to survive? I am sure Giuseppe probably died in the war. I, I hate to say it's probably safe I, yeah. to assume I don't, that he did. I don't know that he, at the same time, he was ashamed he was accused and uh, of these murders and then ashamed. It is possible if he did live that he either stayed in Africa and changed his name or changed his name and came back to Italy or, or went someplace else. Yeah. Changed his name and went someplace else. But yeah. there's no record of him. There's only record of him going to Africa, not coming wow. back. But statistically speaking, he probably died in the war. But You want to know something chilling? Sure. So the tea leaves, my grandma told me a story that her and her mom and I believe it was like her sister and a cousin or something, her aunt, they used to read tea leaves back in the day. And so they used to just do it for fun. But then one day they saw, they all saw like a tombstone in their (gasps) tea leaves right before her father passed away. Oh my gosh. So I'm just saying, wow. and then they never did it again. Oh no, they were they were done. They were done. Done that. Yeah. Yep. Isn't that just when you were talking about the tea leaves? I'm like, oh, th- those tea leaves are creepy. I, yeah. Well, don't mess with those tea leaves, I mean, people. You and I, you and you I want to do it we, next week. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Let's do it on air. No, no but it's just week. like there's she. When you <sighs> mentioned the tea leaves, I remembered yep. she told she me that story. Poems, she did tea leaves. I've never had tea leaves read, but I, I do enjoy a good psychic reading here and again. And I do too. She's never disappointed. So, ugh. Uh, a number of artifacts from this case, including the pot in which the victims were boiled, are on display at the criminolo- uh, criminological museum in Rome. So I wouldn't hate seeing that museum. Head, head over to Rome if you'd like to see that. Now, a darkly comic play about Chanchuli, Love was called Love and Magic in Mama's Kitchen, was first produced by Lena uh, Wertmuller at a festival in 1979, so only nine years after she died. And the play began a run on Broadway in 1983. 
Wow. Isn't that crazy? I was just, I was trying to look up about Streganona, but I'm going to have to do some digging. Yeah. Because I'm just. I want to know. We're going to have to let people know. Yeah. I'll see what I can find. So are you ready for a brain bath? I am. I'm ready. (laughs) Now, I am so sorry because the, I feel like our listeners are really learning how freakish it is that our lives are so interconnected because the brain bath that I picked for this case that I had written before we were you wrote and recorded yours right remember your brain bath had some things to do with we learned about skeet yes earlier direction we took about what skeet means in some slang terms well my brain bath is titled Man who masturbates with cow, dung, sent to jail. <laughs> oh, God. I did not. I mean, how how do we always wrap ourselves up in these nice, neat, little, cosmically connected bows and like this? Honestly, this fits with your story. I mean, talk about resourceful. Yes. Using yes. your natural resources to, to benefit. Harm, to harm no one. Ex- only exactly. to benefit yourself. Dear God. <laughs> So here it is. This is from 2013, um, and it was actually from NigerianNewsUpdate.com. Oh, okay. A man who has a habit of rolling around naked in cow manure has been transferred from a British mental hospital to a prison. David Truscott, 44, has served three jail sentences as a result of his bizarre fetish. He also has admitted threatening to kill a farmer and his family after they tried to ban him from going onto their land. At one point, the farmer, Clive Ross, tried to deter Truscott from getting naked in the muck uh, in the manure spreader by cleaning it. Now, Truscott retaliated by setting the farm on fire. Oh my, okay, I was just going to say, who is he hurting masturbating with cow manure? But here we go into the, the criminal go. behaviors. Yep. Truscott's fetish first came to light in 2004 when he told a court he got sexual pleasure from stripping down to his waist in manure for sexual reasons. So, like, NBD, no NBD. big deal. I just, I would never, I'm not here to kink shame. Whatever is your kink. Can that be a saying now? Kink shame? Kink, we're not, we're go, not going to kink shame. No, we're not here to kink shame. That's never. just fun to say. And... And I, whatever you're into, that's cool. But you know where my line is drawn? It has to be with consenting people, you know partners, what? animals, right. whatever. Consent is key, people. Farmer, the farmer providing the cow. Like, yes. We need the, the mutual. You come up to me, ask, I'll save some shit just for you. Everything. This I mean, five gallon bucket over here. Go to town, buddy. Everything comes with a price. Like, you name the right price, I will have a five-gal of shit for you. Whatever your kink is, I'm here for it as long as it is with consenting parties. Yes. And no one's getting hurt. He got a little forceful here. Yes. A little aggressive. Setting the farm on fire. Yeah. Come on, buddy. Also, manure burns very fast. You just burnt everything up that that you needed. Yeah. Wow, he was mad though. Like, oh also, no! Also, there were ways to do this without ever getting caught. I'm just saying. It, like, right? You could trespass into many a farmer's quietly collect manure. Yes, do as leave. you need to do. Correct. There were just other ways to go about this. Yeah, get your own cow. Oh 
oh, Amber, that's genius. Right? The endless amount of pleasure. Yes. That is brilliant. The cow doesn't care. It's done with it. Sure. Leave her out of it. Yep. You know? Treat her well. She right. will treat you well. Feed her, feed her well, and she will Give produce. you what you need. Very well. Yeah. So there, there oh you my. have it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm more disturbed by No, the story was still worse. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. The story was definitely still worse. But Thank you, because that's oh, the gosh. best thing I've heard all day. And I want to shout out our Patreon, Andrea. She tagged me in this book. I probably, I might never have crossed paths with it, but she tagged me and it was like, hey, this sounds interesting. And I, all of a sudden I just in a couple hours had it read and was like, oh, this is my next case. Yeah. Curses, spells, feels very October-y. I feel like we've Murder. all gone through something today together we, and we will never sure. be the same. We're closer because of it. We, we are. Yes. So keep, keep it curious. Keep listening. Keep coming back. We hope. Yes. And I mean, uh, it, We'll only get better we're, from here because that's the like, universe has now connected us all together. Yes. I think we're bound as one because I've shoved this story into your ear holes yeah. today. Yeah, it like I think that's the worst. Yeah. So it just goes it goes up from it's here. We hit rock bottom, rock bottom all together, right. and okay. and now we'll help each other up. Now we're gonna yeah. we hit rock bottom at a man who masturbates <laughs> with unconsenting cow farmer shit. That was possibly rock uh, as I as I always say, just when you think you've heard it all. I know. Next week, something else will bring you more. That's yeah. right. All right. So yeah. Until then, everyone. Uh, bye bye. Thank thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Send your bill. <laughs> bill us. Forward it to our PO box. We understand. <laughs> all right. Ta ta. Bye.